Vikings and Steelers coming up in just two days. Thursday Night Football Week 14 will be here. It was about five years or so ago that Richard Sherman, then of the Seahawks, referred to Thursday Night Football as, and I quote, a poop fest. Welcome to PFTPM, which some have also regarded (laughs) as a poop fest. Shereen Williams, who helps class up the joint, joins us from her home. Hello, Shereen. How are you today? I'm good, Mike. You got on your Steelers black. I have on my Vikings purple today, so we kind of fit that Thursday night theme, even though it's Tuesday. Well, you know my rule of haberdashery. It is whatever is the closest and whatever is the cleanest. (laughs) And sometimes closest trumps cleanest because to the extent that there may be any sort of lingering, oh, I don't know, odor, not not of the, you know, sweat nasty variety, but just because it's been in a heap of clothes with other clothes that I haven't had time to wash <laughs> or the inclination uh-huh. to wash. Sometimes closest wins, especially on the days that I get in a workout right before the show and risk as maybe happening today, I can't tell, the shower not taking sweating. and me sweating like Albert Brooks in broadcast news. So with that said, we've got a full hour of a program today. We're going to look back on week 13 with our weekly awards segment. MDS will join us coming up in the program but as we always do we tell you what you need to know what's happening there's news every day in the national football league and as we learned on sunday sometimes news happens during the games themselves news that did not happen during any games today came (laughs) from aaron Rodgers, his weekly visit with pat mcafee one of his two platforms where he can air whatever grievances he wants to which is fitting because it is the season of festivus here he is not necessarily airing grievances but providing an update on the status of his broken pinky toe i did get some great information about my foot there was nothing really uh revolutionary there was uh, no mindset change or anything the, the biggest key is rest i wish that there was another one of these weeks so i could you know get 14 to 21 uh great days without doing anything but uh you know the toe is is improving and uh we'll see uh, see how it feels later in the week i think any decision that's made uh, would be one that allows me to play. Um, I'm not going to miss any games. I've obviously played with much uh, bigger injuries, uh, different parts of my body. And uh, this, although it's a small uh, pinky toe, it's definitely painful and, and uh, creates some issues. But I'm not going to miss any games because of it. You know, for a guy who spent time last week whining about members of the organization blabbing. Yep about his health information. He's talking a blue streak, Jack, and what he may as well do in this season of the, the, the Mike cause, Mike cleats, which is a great cause. I don't mean to make a light of it at all, yeah. but he may want to paint a target right over his pinky toe on his cleats because it's already there. And he's, <laughs> he's lucky, as we've said before, that he's not facing Indomitian Sue and his frozen feet. Remember that routine? <laughs> he stomped oh, on yeah. Aaron Rodgers' calf during – a late regular season game a few years back because my feet were were numb because it was so cold in Green Bay. So I got stepped on against the Vikings, and it may get stepped on again, accidentally or accidentally, Shireen. Yeah. Well, and I was sitting there watching that thing, the same thing, Mike. Okay, who is he going to blame after this interview for releasing his medical inter- information? It, it, Dak Prescott would call that a HIPAA violation, releasing your own information, but I digress. Uh, you know, he did opted not to have the surgery because they would have put a pin in there and it would have immobilized the, the pinky toe, and he didn't want to do that, so he did consult 
out in L.A. with another foot specialist, and they all agreed that he can finish the season as is. We'll see how much that thing can heal in a couple weeks with the bye week. But it seems to me, Mike, that this team with Aaron Rodgers, the shape he's in, now he's played awfully well, I get it, but they could use that first-round bye week as the number one seed more than any other team that we're talking about in contention for that number one seed. Yeah, and it's not just getting him the rest. It's getting the home games at Lambeau Field. And this is the second year of only one team (coughs) per conference having a week off, the one seed, the ultimate advantage. Enjoy it while you can because I think it's just a matter of time before no one has a bye and there are 16 playoff teams because more games, more money, especially more games of significant consequence. For now, though, you get that week off, and he really needs it, especially after a 17-game season, although for him it's 16 because he missed the one game due to COVID. And actually, we still don't know how he hurt the toe. It it may be fortuitous that he got that week off for COVID because maybe he wouldn't have been able to play against the Chiefs anyway because that toe injury. I never even thought of that. But we didn't know about the toe at all until he came back. So unless he injured it while he was off on the COVID reserve list, it was a lingering problem that was still very prevalent after he didn't play for two weeks in the first place. So he may not have, who knows, he may have been affected. He may have injured it worse. He may be in a more dire situation if he hadn't missed that game against the Chiefs in week nine. And guess what, Mike? If he wasn't vaccinated and hadn't gotten COVID, he's not vaccinated. If he hadn't gotten COVID, he would be out right now because I'm sure he was a close contact to Jordan Love. So all these things have played into it. But I think he said at one point a couple weeks ago that he injured it actually during the COVID quarantine week. And if that's the case, there's got to be a story there. Like, I want to know what the story is, how you hurt your pinky toe a trip over something? Was he working out in his yard? Like, how did he injure that toe if he truly injured it during that week of COVID? I want to know. I want to know what the story is. And I, you raise a compelling point because you're right. He has an exemption from the close contact rules up yeah. until the Tuesday after the NFC Championship game. Obviously, if they're still alive, then he's not tested on a daily basis. He has a testing holiday because he's regarded as having sufficient antibodies that it's not an issue. If he had not, if he had not tested positive and missed that time, he would have been out for five days. Now, Jordan Love got knocked out. Was it yesterday? Was it Monday that he got knocked out? Monday, yeah. So he could okay, have been back for then the game. He, he could have been back for the game, but he would have missed the full week of practice. And uh, Sorry about that. And, um, uh, but regardless, he's exempt from that because of the fact that he did have that positive. So... We get to see Aaron Rodgers on Sunday Night Football against the Chicago Bears. I do two radio spots a week on WSCR in Chicago, one on Tuesday morning and one late morning Wednesday, and they are dreading this game because they, they, they know the drill, <laughs> that the Bears are going to get drilled. But we got to sell it because it's here on Peacock. It's on NBC. It's a legendary rivalry. Tune in to see Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers make like – the Harlem Globetrotters against the Washington Generals as they take on the Chicago Bears. But you know what? Sometimes, once in a while, maybe one time ever, the Generals won. And one thing we've learned this year, case in point, Texans beating the Titans. Anything can happen when you line up on a football field for 60 minutes. And maybe we'll get a weather game. Maybe we'll get a snow game, another wind game. Who knows? Speaking of that, wind game, Monday Night Football. Boy, I'll tell you what, I wish I was a gambler last night. Now, when... Yes. 
When I'm right about something, I regret that I don't bet. When I'm wrong, it never occurs to me, boy, you lucky bastard, it's good that you don't bet. It's only (laughs) when I was right. Uh And we were both right last night, Shireen, about the under. I'm surprised they scored 24 total points. Oh, I am too, Mike. I can't believe it. Like, I thought when the Patriots went up 8 nothing against the wind, I said, hey, that might be all the scoring that we have. And then Bills went down, and it was 8-7, and I thought that might be all the scoring that we have. It was amazing they scored that many uh, points. It was a fun game, though, I thought, to watch when you have a 15-yard punt and a kick that goes into the first row of the stands and everything else that we saw. That ball was really moving. Most interesting kicking conditions since the night in late November or early December. I think it was early December 2007. Mike Tirico on the call. The Dolphins-Steelers game at Heinz Field where the punt hit and did not bounce. That's how bad the field was. Final score of that game between the Dolphins and the Steelers, 3-0. And I, I thought, and it was early in the game, but after a few drives per team, I'm thinking... It's going to be 0-0. And then off went Damian Harris, and that changed everything. But still, only 24 total points. Now, Bill Belichick on with WEEI earlier today talking about how this game may affect the rematch that is coming up the day after Christmas against Buffalo in New England. Let's have a listen to Coach Belichick. (laughs) Yeah, we were talking about that last night. We We can use our whole passing game. Um, yeah. all, all the past plays that we have they haven't seen so we can use all of them next time we play them that game plan has already been made and, and you know there is some merit to that now their game plan yeah. look they're, they're passing game it's on film but to the extent that this will be quarter number five of an eight quarter two game series between the two teams the Bills directly will have seen None of the Patriots passing game, assuming that we don't have similar weather conditions in Foxborough on the 26th of December. That game is just 19 days away or 18 days. I think it's 18 days. No, it's 19 days away. So uh, that should be a fun one. The three pass attempts, it's still amazing. The fewest by a team in a win since 1974 when the Bills did it. Uh, And and I, I really did enjoy it. And I didn't see many people complaining about it because we all recognize it's a rarity. And it's driven by the conditions and just enjoy it when it happens because it, it's, it's kind of fun to have something different than what you expected. Well, and I made the mistake of picking the Bills, and I said yesterday when I picked the Bills, the Patriots have the better running game, and it still amazes me that the Bills haven't fixed their running game considering the conditions that they play in. They're going to play games like that in Buffalo. It's inevitable unless they get a dome, as Josh uh, Allen proposed to the owners, the Pagulas, yesterday. They're going to play in those conditions, so they needed to have a better running game. So it made sense, the game plan, and it made sense – of how the Patriots won that game. So, yeah, no complaints. But, Mike, have you ever seen – it's been a really long time. I can't remember the last time. I have seen Bill Belichick this giddy over a victory. I mean, he is absolutely giddy. He started the press conference today by saying – they asked him how he was doing. He said, I'm a little run down, but good. I mean, he's using the puns and everything. Had a big smile on his face after that game. It's been a really – I can't remember the last time I've seen him this giddy over a win. When he had the Navy – face mask on last exactly. night which should have been the clue that they were going to be running and running and running yes. and running and look he, he deserves to be 
feeling good about what's going on because his plan post Brady is working. Last year it didn't work. Yeah. They didn't have the personnel. This year, the pandemic really helped them from the standpoint of creating a salary cap pinch for so many teams. They were one of the few that could go out and spend. Spend they did. They identified guys that they thought would help them. Those guys have helped them, like a Matthew Judon. They drafted well. Mac Jones fell into their laps. So many things have gone their way, and it is working. After a 1-3 and three start that became 2-4, and four, they have now won seven in a row, and they are giving up, on average, 10 points in each game that they've won in this streak, and that is impressive. You know, you mentioned the Bills, and Sims and I were talking about this today. This is the team that's supposed to be built to play in the elements, but it's the Colts and the Patriots and the Titans and other teams in the AFC that they're going to have to – it's almost like the Bills should not want to have the one seed now. They shouldn't want to have home games in January because chances are you're going to get weather conditions that you may not be able to operate in unless, Shireen – and this is going to lead into our next soundbite. But why not just acknowledge the fact, as they eventually did, they got a quarterback who may be able to operate the passing game in winds that are gusting up to 50 miles an hour. Because on those last two drives, he did. Oh, he absolutely did, Mike. He's got such a strong arm. What I was disappointed in, and I mentioned this yesterday, I expected to see Josh Allen run the football, and he didn't do that. And when he did do it, he was very successful doing that, but he didn't do that enough. He was their best running back because they don't have good running backs. Zach Moss is their best running back right now. And Zach Moss is not a number one running back. He's not a franchise guy that you want to play in those conditions. So six carries for 39 yards for Josh Allen. He should have had much more than that. Should have been closer to that 100-yard mark. And I think the Bills would have scored more than they did in the red zone. They were abysmal in the red zone. What One for four, one touchdown and four red zone opportunities. And they had another one where they fumbled at the New England 29-yard line. Didn't take advantage of those opportunities, Mike, that they had. And I didn't like their game plan at all. And that leads directly into a comment made by head coach Sean McDermott regarding performance of offensive coordinator Brian Dayball. Let's have a listen to Sean McDermott. Let's not give more credit than we need to give credit to Bill Belichick in this one. It was um, whether it's Bill or anybody else, they beat us, right? But you sit here and you tell me when they start with the average starting when we start with the average starting field position of the 40-yard line and he starts with the 23-yard line and I'm rounding up in both cases and we were 1 for 4 in the red zone and they are 0 for 1 in the red zone you give me that ahead of time, I'm saying I like my chances. I like my chances. So it's not, I don't think, with all due respect, it's not a Bill Belichick type thing. It's what are you doing with the opportunities you got? What are you doing with the opportunities you got? We turn the ball over at the plus 30-some yard line. Sloppy football. Sloppy football. So um, I'm very comfortable in that situation. Well, I didn't think, honestly, we, we took advantage of opportunities tonight. I really didn't. I mean, the ball's at the 40-yard line. You know, we're one for four in the red zone. So um, we got to figure that part of it out. Now, that part was very ominous because anytime you are asked, how is somebody performing oh, yeah. in their job, and the answer is anything other than yes, 
The answer is no, Shireen. And if I'm Brian Dayball, I'm starting to maybe feel a little bit like Joe Brady must have been feeling in the days preceding the news that he was out in Carolina. And for a guy to go from head coaching candidate to on notice, that, that comment, I think, puts Brian Absolutely. Dayball and everyone else on notice because that's a softball. That's, that's, that's a pinata, and you're standing there with a stick and no blindfold when they say, is your offense coordinator performing at a level that the team can be successful? And he says anything other than yes. That's a problem. Well, let's go back to 2017, Mike. It's very similar comments to what he made about Rick Dennison. And guess what happened to Rick Dennison after the season was over? Bye-bye. So it absolutely puts Brian Dayball on, on notice that – you're, you're, you better get this thing going and get it going quickly or we're going to have a new offensive coordinator next season. But there just seems to be a disconnect there between head coach and offensive coordinator. It sounds like from what Sean McDermott has said repeatedly time after time after time this season that he wants to win the line of scrimmage. He wants the power rushing games. They don't, they're not set up to do that. They don't have the offensive line and the running backs to do that. If you were, wanted that, you should have built your team around that and they didn't do that. Their best weapon is Josh Allen and their receivers. So he's doing what he best he can do with the weapons that he has on that team. So I don't blame him at all. Get him, get him better running backs and a better offensive line if that's what you want to do. And, you know, the, the clip that we played before that where Sean McDermott was saying don't give Bill Belichick too much credit and, you know, we, we – we had the ball uh, on our 40 on average, and they had the ball on the 23. Well, that, as Sim said today, that's all the more reason to give Belichick credit. It, 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 right. it, Belichick overcame a tougher set of circumstances, and it was Belichick's team that handed the Bills seven points with the ball that graced, uh, grazed the face mask of Nikhil Harry. So I, I, I was surprised that McDermott said what he did. and Yeah, maybe, Exactly. Um, I was surprised McDermott <laughs> said what he did, and, and I don't know that that's the wisest thing to do when you're getting ready to play right. this team in 19 days. I think he gave into his frustration, oh but yep. Belichick's going to be ready for him when December 26th rolls around. After, after hearing him refuse to give Belichick the praise he deserved after putting together the game plan that won last night. Absolutely the dumbest possible thing that Sean McDermott could have done. He should have gone in there and praised Bill Belichick to kingdom come. It was the greatest coaching effort of all time. Set him up. The rat poison, right, that, that Nick Saban talked about last week. Give him the rat poison. Don't give him that. That is going up on the bulletin board, and I guarantee you Bill Belichick is going to use that when he comes out in two weeks and plays them again. I don't like the Bills' chances in New England anyway, but I certainly don't like them now with Sean McDermott saying what he did. Yeah, if praise of your team or your coach is rat poison, what McDermott did last night was chew on a cyanide capsule uh, because he's, <laughs> yes. he's going he's, he's to find out about it in 19 days. I already will pick the Patriots to win that game, barring some dramatic yeah. developments between now and then. All right, uh, here's a dramatic development. And this is something that first dawned on me yesterday when I realized three things. One, T.J. Watt had three and a half sacks on Sunday against the Ravens. Two, he has 16 for the season. And three, because he's gotten 16 in 10 games, he's missed two if he plays in the final five and he is on that same pace that he's been on through the first 10, he's going to have 24 sacks. And he's going to be the defensive player of the year and maybe the MVP. We talked about that yesterday. Here's Ben Roethlisberger from earlier today, making the case for T.J. Watt 
getting MVP votes. I think TJ is like seriously one of the, the best players I've ever played against. And I've played against some really good defensive guys. Um, and so, yeah, I, I know I joke about that, but, but he truly is a special player. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that I've never been sacked by him because um, he's not allowed to get close to me. But he, he, is, he is a game changer and a game wrecker. And you don't – I've been a part of guys like that, Troy Palomalu, um, who can change a football game. And it doesn't happen on defense that often. To be a literal game changer on defense is something completely sp- special. And um, he should be recognized more than just a deep – I mean, I don't know who else is the defensive player of the year other than that guy. Um, I'm sure there's other candidates. I just don't know. But he should absolutely get MVP, MVP votes as well because that's what kind of a player he is. And, and look, we're struggling to find a clear-cut candidate. I believe that whoever the quarterback of the one seed in the NFC is will have the inside track. If it's Tom Brady, I think he wins the MVP. But if it's Aaron Rodgers or Kyler Murray, Murray's missed three games, Rodgers had the COVID thing, if T.J. Watt gets to 22.5 or more, and if the Steelers get to the postseason, then I think that he should get some votes. And he's at 250-1. to There's Lamar Jackson at 25-1. to Points bet, put him on the board at 250-1. to That's a hell of a value if you're inclined to throw some money on long shots. I don't know that it's going to happen. But I can see a path to it. You know, for a lot of these guys that are fringe candidates, I don't see a path to it. Like for Justin Herbert, I don't really see a path to it at 18 to 1. I see a path to it for TJ Watt at 250 to 1. Yeah, Mike, I have an MVP vote, as you know. And if I had to vote today, I'm not certain that I wouldn't vote for TJ Watt. He would be like one of my top two candidates. I think it'd be Kyler Murray and. And T.J. Watt, and I think I probably would vote for T.J. Watt for what he's done. Now, I do think they have to make the playoffs, and I think really when you're a defensive player, you have to do something really special, and that will take setting the record, which he's on pace to do. I can definitely see him setting that sacks record, and if he does that and they get in the playoffs, I think he's got a great chance to do it. The ironic thing is, and we talk about ironic, I guess it's ironic, Big Ben's never gotten an MVP vote, but I think T.J. Watt deserves to be in consideration in the top three right now today, or at least in the top four with those other quarterbacks. It's kind of like the Heisman Trophy. I think Aiden Hutchinson deserves to win the Heisman Trophy. To me, there just wasn't that guy that stood head and shoulders above everybody else. Bryce Young probably will win it, but he has to be in the conversation and is in the conversation. I think it's the same thing with T.J. Watt. The year that the last time a defensive player won it, LT, 1986, he had 20 and a half sacks. I guarantee you that T.J. Watt will have more than that. He's just been destructive. He has been the best defensive player in football in the 10 games that he has played. I have good news and bad news for you after what you just said. But here's the good news. I assume you'd rather have the good news first. You want the good news first? I'll give you the good news first. Yeah, the let's good, news, good is, news. I'm I'm very impressed by how you have grown, how you have matured, how you no longer hold a grudge of any kind against Kyler Murray for leaving Texas A&M. That is true but. human maturation and growth the bad news is all that stuff they gave you at texas a&m including that giant manhole cover on a chain that you got this year they're gonna come take all that Uh back now that you're embracing kyler murray 
Well, that could be, absolutely. But he's just, he deserves it, Mike, right? I mean, I voted for him for Offensive Rookie of the Year. He deserved it. And I even told uh, Dalton, Mark Dalton at, with, with uh, Cardinals PR, I said, this really pains me, but I'm voting for your guy for Offensive Rookie of the Year, and I did. And if he deserves it, he's going to get my vote. And if they get the one seed, he's probably going to win it, although he missed those three games. I don't know if that hurt, helps him or hurts him, the fact that they went 2-1 and one without him, because it tells you they've got a really good team even without him and without Hopkins. Yeah, 2-1 and one without him and 8-1 and one with him, and, and should be 9-0 yeah. and oh with him should've. if A.J. Green game. wasn't treating the final play of the game like a run play <laughs> for some reason. Uh, all right, let's go ahead and take a break. Patriots on top of the AFC. Will they stay there? Fill in the blank coming up next on this Tuesday edition of PFTPM. Two quick things for me, and then I'm going to turn it over to our order. That's why we practice in this show. Tonight, though, is one of those nights, fellas that you'll remember 10, 15, 20 years from now. You won't remember the cold. You remember the way we responded. It ain't going to come to us easy, fellas. We're going to have to fight and claw and scrap. And on Monday night, Buffalo, snow, wind, hostile nonetheless. How do we feel about a Monday night victory? I thought they were all robots who didn't have fun. Didn't Lane Johnson say they don't have fun in New England? That looked like yeah. fun to me. Like Shereen, I wanted fun. to be part of that fun. Yeah, it looked like a lot of fun, and Bill Belichick looked like he enjoyed last night immensely. You know, and look, they say they don't hear what people are saying. They say they don't pay oh, attention. They do to the way that teams are regarded. They'd been hearing all last year and all of this year about the Bills, the Bills, the Bills, the Bills, the Bills, and the Bills are the best team now, and the Bills are going to own the division, and the Bills are going to be what the Patriots have been. And after one year of the Bills, Bill is back, and they pay attention to all of it, and they are very vindicated and gratified by where they now are. So fill in the blank time. When it's all said and done, blank will be the one seed in the AFC. Who do you have, Shereen? Well, I'm going with the Chiefs yet again, Mike. They've been there, won that the last couple years. They've been the AFC team to go on to the Super Bowl, won one, lost one. I still think they're the best team in the AFC, if not in the NFL. They didn't play like it early, but I think they're starting to play like it now. And guess what? They have a defense that they didn't have the last two years. And you keep thinking that offense is going to come around. I think that offense is going to come around. I don't think this is a team that's going to lose the rest away it so it's going to take obviously those teams in front of them to lose but i don't think they're going to lose the rest away mike i think they're going to win out and i think in the end they're going to be the number one seed see i think it's going to be the patriots in this bye week that they're getting the latest possible bye, latest ever by the nfl has yeah. had week 14 that, that that just plays right into their hands it's it's kind of got the potential to be the same thing we saw for the bucks last year not that they're limping into their bye either. They're going in 9-4. and four. they got four regular season games on the back end. And they can win all four of these games. And then they got four playoff games after that. And they can win all of those. Oh, wait. They may only have three after that. So forget about going 8-0. They may only need to go 7-0. and 
And if they win the last four, they will only need to go 7-0 and to win the Super Bowl. So I think it's going to be the Patriots. And I think the Patriots are going to be back in Los Angeles. And I can only hope it's Patriots versus Buccaneers in Super Bowl 56. The game that we never thought we would see again when it happened on October the 3rd may be happening on February the 13th. I got my fingers crossed because that would be the dream matchup. Patriots Buccaneers. All right, the NFC team fighting for the final two wildcard spots that I'm most confident in is which? Who won? Shireen. Well, I'm going to go with Washington. And as we know, they've still got a chance to win the division. Huge game Sunday against the Cowboys. They play them twice in the next three weeks. They're all division games they have left. They're on a four-game winning streak. They're playing really well. They've beaten some really good teams. I mean, they beat the Buccaneers. They beat the Raiders. Uh, They've just continued to do it. And Taylor Heineke, I think, continues to get better. And I don't think we give Mike Ron Rivera enough credit for the coach that he is. He's better than Matt Rule right now, and Carolina got rid of him, and maybe sometimes you need to move on and start over. And as you've said, the coach loses his voice in that locker room, but he's got that voice in the Washington locker room, and they're playing really well right now. They may win the division, but I think they get in the playoffs no matter what. And Ron Rivera, a two-time coach of the year, if they get to the playoffs, he should receive serious consideration for coach of the year again. Because even though they had high expectations going into the season, we decided early on the expectations were too high, and they get get into a two-and-six hole, and they have dug out of it. You know, I would be inclined to say Washington, but I want to pick a different team. I'll say the 49ers. I I think what happened in Seattle was just kind of like that happens from time to time. I think the 49ers can get hot, and I think that – you know, they've got the formula, they've got the understanding, they, they've got the experience, and they're currently holding one of the wild-card berths. And remember, with the, with Washington, it may not be a wild-card berth. They could, they have two paths. Yeah. They have a wild-card path, and they have an NFC East championship path if they can take care of the Dallas Cowboys. All right, through 13 weeks, the team I still can't figure out is who, Sheree? I'm going to go with the Chargers. I mean, they're sitting there at 7-5, but here recently it's been loss, win, loss, win, loss, win. And they started out 4-1, and one, looked like they were going to win that division. They're sitting top and probably should have been 5-0 and because oh, they had two touchdowns called back against the Cowboys. But then they had losses to the Vikings and Broncos that they shouldn't have had. It just feels like this is a team that should be better than what they are and should be higher than, than what they are in the playoff seedings right now. But they've done nothing, on the other hand, to show me that they can be a true contender to win the championship this season, Mike. They're just, they confound me, and they continue to do it week after week after week. You never know which Chargers team is going to show up. That was pretty impressive against the Bengals. I didn't expect them to win that game like they did. And, you know, the the Chargers more recently have been on that, that roller coaster with short and sudden hills and valleys. The Bengals are more of a gradual drop, and they, they start to build something up, and then they, they, they have a, a letdown, and then they build up again, and we start to think, hey, they're pretty damn good, and then they have another letdown. So they're the team I can't figure out because they have shown us at times they're capable of being great, but they're also capable of just laying an egg. And, and, and that's the problem because when you get to the postseason and you're playing the best teams under the highest degree of pressure – you can't have a letdown for even a quarter. With all that pressure, if you just have a mini letdown, it may be too late to get back into the game. So the Bengals uh, are in uh, uh, some trouble here unless they can show some real consistency. The coach under the most pressure in the final stretch of the season is who, Shireen? 
Well, I'm going to go with Mike McCarthy, who's still in COVID quarantine, at least until Thursday. But this is a team that started out 6-1, and one, Mike, and we were talking about them as the best team in football, not just the best team in the NFC, the best team in football. And it's amazing what happened in New England between these two teams, how they've diverged. That was the Patriots' last loss. They've just ascended. Cowboys won that game, and they have not been the same team since then. Whether it's Dak Prescott's calf that he hurt on the last play there in overtime, the touchdown throw to CeeDee Lamb, or whether it's teams have figured out how to stop their offense, which is what Vic Fangio said after the Broncos just kicked their butts here in town. Whatever it is, they haven't played as well as they played early in the season, and they've got to figure that out. And you've got a guy over there named Kellen Moore who could be a coaching candidate in the offseason, and I know that Jerry Jones wants to keep him. I don't think they make the change this year, but I tell you what, if they don't win the division – Jerry Jones is not going to be happy with Mike McCarthy and this team. I think it's Mike Zimmer. So we got two mics that we're going to pick. Look, they, they are getting down to their last chance or two. They need to desperately win their next two games, both of which will be played in prime time Thursday night against the Pittsburgh Steelers, and then 11 nights later on a Monday night in Chicago against the Bears. They need to get to 7-7 seven and seven and hope for the best down the stretch against the Rams, Packers, and Bears. If they don't get to the playoffs, I think Zimmer's done. I, just, I think he's done. Yeah. They've, they've spent too yeah. much money. They have immaculate, exceptional, state-of-the-art facilities. There's no excuse for this team to be an every-other-year proposition to just get to the playoffs and make a relatively quick exit. They need, they, they, they need more. And two straight years of no playoffs, not good enough. Um, and and uh, if they don't make the playoffs this year, I think he's done. And he still may be done if they make it and they, they have a, a, an ugly loss in the wild-card round. I'll say this. You know, nobody's been fired in season yet other than John Gruden, which was different circumstances. Nobody's been fired based on merit yet. One of the reasons, I think, is so many teams are still alive. Once some of these teams start having the fork stuck in them, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't have a rash of, of firing so you can get a head start on your coaching search. Like we saw with Mike McCarthy in Green Bay. You know, People were saying it was disrespectful. Yeah. Well, once you decide you're moving on, why wait? And if the Vikings lose the next two and get to nine losses, even if they lose the next game and have that little extra, not, not that the, the interim coach even matters at this point. I, 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 think, I think Zimmer's got to worry about, frankly, not making it to the end of the season if they don't turn it around quickly. All right, let's take a break. When we return, awards time. Michael David Smith will join us and we'll hand out our non-hardware hardware, non-prize prize, satisfaction only awards when PFTPM continues right after this. All right, teams that can clinch a playoff berth this week. There aren't that many, just Amazing. three of them, the Cardinals, the Packers, and the Buccaneers. It just shows you how crazy this season is. It's going to be down to the wire for so many of these teams, and all three of them are in the NFC, not the AFC. The AFC is a wild, crazy, mad scrum, and every week is going to mean more and more. We welcome in MDS, who joins us for the weekly awards segment. We do it every Tuesday. MDS, first, hello, and second, you are up. We're going to get right to it. Offensive player of the week. I got Gardner Minshew. He played extremely well in his first start as an Eagle on Sunday, completing 20 of 25 passes for 242 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Yeah, it was against the Jets, okay, but, hey, they they, they play who's on the schedule. Minshew played very well, and I just think the Eagles made a great move when they traded for Minshew 
before the season, giving up only a sixth round draft pick to the Jaguars. I question why the Jaguars were so willing to give him up for so little. Minshew's 25 years old. He's under contract for less than a million dollars a year, both this year and next year. And when given an opportunity, both in Philadelphia and in Jacksonville, he has shown real talent. The Eagles say there's no real quarterback controversy and Minshew will go back to the bench as long as Jalen Hurts is healthy. But hey, even if he's just a backup quarterback, he's a backup quarterback who has real promise, I think. It's not very often that we give a player of the of, of the week award to a player on a losing team, but I thought George Kittle deserved that. I mean, I had that game, and he was absolutely dominant in that 30-23 loss to the Seahawks. 12 targets, 9 catches, 181 yards, 2 touchdowns. He had never had, I was stunned, he had never had more than one touchdown in a game. It was the best game of his career. He also had a 5-yard run. Just outstanding, 109 yards after the catch. He had a 48-yard touchdown that was spectacular down the sideline. Just a great effort uh, in a losing effort, but he did everything he could to help the 49ers win that game. And we know athletes are superstitious. I think that George Kittle needs to hope that a fan shows up for every game with a sign that says George Kittle wishes he was Grom with an M, Kowski, and he finds that fan and signs (laughs) that sign then he unleashes a Gromkowski-like performance. Uh, for me, it's Kyler Murray. Welcome back, Kyler. Remember when he first had that injury? Oh, he's not going to miss any time. Oh, it's just going to be one game. Oh, he's going to be back. Uh, 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 uh. He missed a month, and he was phenomenal against the Bears, who look a little like the Broncos right there. But two touchdown passes, two touchdown runs as the Arizona Cardinals went back to Chicago, one of their former homes, and played like the team that plays in the elements on a regular basis. So congrats to them. Defensive player of the week time. MDS, you're up. Well, as Shereen mentioned, we usually don't pick players on losing teams, but I've been wanting to mention Bengals defensive end Trey Hendrickson for a while now. On Sunday, he had a sack against the Chargers. He now has at least one sack in eight consecutive games, which is the longest active streak in the NFL. You know, Hendrickson had 13 and a half sacks last year for the Saints, but they were in such rough salary cap shape that they just couldn't afford to re-sign him. And when he hit free agency, the Bengals made an aggressive offer for him. He has emerged as one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. I don't know what else we say about T.J. Watt, but we couldn't leave him off this list as outstanding as he was with those three and a half sacks, six tackles, six quarterback hits, a forced fumble. Perhaps his best play, I assume, didn't even show up in the stat sheet, and that was on the two-point conversion when he completely changed the way Lamar Jackson threw that ball. He had a wide-open receiver and couldn't hit him because of T.J. Watt, but I do think he's in that conversation to become only the third defensive player to win the MVP award. We've got to at least mention him in there, and I do think he will get some votes the way he's playing right now. Yeah, just phenomenal and made that surprise return from the COVID list to be a huge difference maker in that game and disrupted the two-point play in addition to the two-and-a-half sacks. I got Carlos Dunlap from the Seahawks. What a game that they had. What a performance that they desperately needed as things were crumbling. And he had a sack of Jimmy Garoppolo for his safety, and then he batted down the critical final pass of the game, the last-ditch effort by the Seahawks to tie the game up. And I can't help but wonder whether they would have gone for two. If they had scored, you know, you had two division rivalries playing out, two bitter rivalries at the same time. 
and, uh, you know, potentially the same result if there hadn't been that batted pass. And there's the Dunlap wearing number eight sack of Jimmy G. So great week for Carlos Dunlap and the Seahawks for a change. Rookie of the week, MDS, who you got? I'm taking Amon Ross St. Brown, the rookie receiver for the Lions, scored the game-winning touchdown on Sunday. One of the reasons I don't like tanking is that I think you can – not really develop your young players in an atmosphere where you're not trying to win. And I think Amon Ross St. Brown of the Lions is a young player. They're developing the right way by putting him in competitive situations where he has an opportunity to help them win games. We know the Lions stink. They're probably still going to get the first overall pick in the draft. But I respect the way they're playing hard, beating teams that are still competing for playoff spots like the Vikings, coming close to beating some other teams as we've seen that are competing for playoff spots. They tied the Steelers. They were very close against the Ravens. They've had competitive games against good teams. I think that's how you develop young players like my rookie of the week, Amon Ross St. Brown. Rams linebacker Ernest Jones. That was only his fifth career start, and he played outstanding. Third-round pick, nine tackles. Five of those were run stops, three tackles for loss, uh, half a sack, a pass defense. He was really, really good. He went and covered seven times and only gave up 13 yards total uh, in those seven times in coverage. They benched Troy Reader to play Troy to play Ernest Jones, and I think they found something. He played 56 of 59 snaps and played really well. So he's helped their defense, and that Rams defense now might be back, Mike, now that they've gotten a little uh, juice in him. They need Von Miller to play better, though. You're going to think that I'm messing with you with my choice, but I mean this. Mac Jones of the Patriots, just the fact that there's never a question, there's never an issue, he's going to do whatever they tell him to do, even if the game plan is you only throw three passes, you have to execute the handoffs flawlessly all night long, and hey, even with the game on the line, he didn't have any screw-ups, he didn't have any blunders, he did everything he was supposed to do all game long, and he never would be a guy who would make a face about it or have a bad demeanor about it or an attitude about it. He is already the consummate Stepford Patriot doing everything that his overlords (laughs) want him to do, including, and this was the kicker for me, Peyton Manning had him on the phone. Peyton Manning, who talks to the quarterbacks of the games that Peyton and Eli broadcast with the alternate feed on ESPN2, the Manning cast. And Mac Jones says to Peyton, I'm sorry, I want to do this, but can you check with Stacey James, the PR director, first to make sure it's okay? And Stacey told Peyton, respectfully, no, we really don't want to do this. Mac Jones, just the veteran presence of mind, understanding everything that it takes to be a full-fledged patriot, for better or worse. He, maybe he'll tolerate it for 20 years and finally blow a gasket and want to go play for someone else. But he is already fully indoctrinated into the patriot way. And I say that somewhat jokingly, but also, if you want to make this offense go and you want to make this team go, the key ingredient is not just a quarterback who can do what you need him to do with the football. He needs to be the right guy to carry himself the way that they want, to say what they want him to say and not say what they don't want him to say. And I think that's a critical ingredient in where the Patriots are and will continue to be. Coach of the week, MDS, you're up. I'll stick with the Patriots, and I'll name not Bill Belichick this week, but offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels, who had such a unique approach to play calling on Monday night. He only called for Mac Jones to throw it three times. And, you know, I actually think some people today have been overstating 
a little bit how dominant the Patriots run game was. I mean, actually, just a couple weeks ago, the Colts had an even more dominant run game against the Bills than the Patriots had on Monday night. But really, Josh. I think we're losing MBS or we lost there. Is. is he there? We're going to do what Shereen, why don't you go uh, ahead? Wait, right, there he is. Oh, uh, yep. Did you lose me? We got you now. We did. Okay. So, you know, I think that Josh McDaniel just said with his play calling, we're going to do what we want to do. Keep doing it over and over and over again. I like that kind of play calling it. Just saying we've got our priorities for our team. We're going to call our game the way we want to call it. That's what Josh McDaniels did. Well, I'm going to go with Dan Campbell, and it's for all the reasons that you said, MDS. This team is still playing hard. They're still playing tough. You saw how much that victory meant to them just from on the sideline. You questioned Dan Campbell, and I am sure he's been questioned and will be questioned even more for the series before that. The fact that they went for it on fourth down uh, at their own 28th there late. But this is a team that's playing to win. I mean, they know where they are in the standings. They know what their role is as an underdog, and they're doing everything they can to win games. I love that. I love this team. I love Dan Campbell, and I'm so happy that they got their first victory, that they are not going to go over this year. They, of course, had the one tie. But I think this was big for Detroit and big for this team to take that step. And, and of course, dedicating the game and giving the game ball to Oxford High School was just a, a cherry on top for, for Detroit this week. I'm going to go with Mike Tomlin. I think he made the right moves coming out of an embarrassing loss to the Bengals in Cincinnati with the padded practice on Wednesday. There was an interview of Tomlin that dropped on the Steelers' website on Sunday morning, which I thought was kind of odd, but there was – some stuff in there that helped you understand why he took the approach he did. And he, he had some great X's and O's stuff about the cat and mouse game that you get into with a team like the Baltimore Ravens. Look, he put together a game plan, both sides of the ball, and he got the most out of his players in order to get a critical victory to keep them alive for a playoff berth at a time when everyone had written them off. And I said it all week. I didn't have the guts to pick them to win, but I said all week. I've lived in and around Pittsburgh my whole life, and I'm never going to doubt them again. When everyone is throwing dirt on the Steelers, that's when they are the most dangerous. Let's take a break. We're going to bust open the PFTPM mailbag when this Tuesday edition of the program continues right after this. All right, we'll wrap this Tuesday edition of PFTPM by answering some of your questions. Our good friend Tom Marshall, known on Twitter as A Red Zone Alk, do the Patriots' past successes exclude Bill Belichick from consideration for Coach of the Year? He won it at least in 2007 when they went undefeated. I think that may be the only time he's won it, Shereen. Correct me yeah. if I'm wrong. But but does the fact that they've set such a high bar make it harder for him to? receive the award that frankly if we're looking for the best coach of the year pretty much every year in the nfl it's going to be him yeah it is amazing mike that he's only won at one time because you could have given it to him every year but i think what happened last year with this team and now where they are to me there are only two candidates and that's bill belichick and cliff kingsbury right now today as we sit here and i think it's going to be one of those two coaches and he's done an outstanding coaching job yet again this may be his best coaching job that he that he's ever done Now, I think he could be coach of the year just because I believe that the the award is determined very loosely by the understanding of 
how much a team exceeds the expectations that were in place for it going into the season. And people didn't expect much from the Patriots going into the season. They didn't expect them to be the potential number one seed. So I think if they're the number one seed, you have to give Bill Belichick that consideration because it's not just what he does as a coach. It's his entire plan that has been validated by what they've done. So I think that he should get consideration for coach of the year, and maybe he is the guy who deserves it. If they get the one seed, you can make a very good case for it. Brainless Sloth wants to know this. I like that (laughs) Twitter handle, by the way. If the 49ers lose to the Bengals, will Trey Lance start the rest of the season, or will they continue to use Jimmy Garoppolo in the hopes of somehow driving up his value in the postseason? Shereen, what do you think? Uh, They're going to be in it. I mean, we see how much of a cluster this whole NFC is. They're all tightly bunched there. They're going to stay in it. So you keep playing Jimmy Garoppolo the rest of the way. I don't see Trey Lance. Unless they're out of it the last couple weeks, and I guess you play – Trey Lance, but as it stands right now, Mike, I think Jimmy Garoppolo finishes the season. And I don't think losing to the Bengals would change the analysis because they'd still be alive. Because if you finish with four straight wins, if you fall to six and seven, which is what would happen if they would lose on Sunday, and you win four in a row and finish ten and seven, probably a chance you're getting one of the seven seats in the playoff party. So uh, I don't think this weekend has any relevance whatsoever to it and and they're already making noise about bringing jimmy g back next year but based on how he played against the seahawks i wouldn't bring him back next week frankly all right uh dr j144 <laughs> the texans and the lions both have minimal talent but it doesn't feel like the lions but doesn't it feel key distinction there doesn't it feel like the lions compete harder and seem better prepared than the yes. texans how should we evaluate coaches on teams without enough talent to win and i think that dr j144 is right we see fight from the lions every yes. single week the Texans, at times, it just seems like they're, they're overmatched the and they're not really trying. Yes. Yeah, completely agree. And you see the fight in the Lions. You see how much that win meant to them. They're probably going to end up with the number one overall pick. But I didn't have them last this week. I had the Texans last in, in my AP power poll, and I had the Lions next to last. I like what the Lions are doing. I think they found their coach we think they found their GM. That remains to be seen. They still need a quarterback of the future. But this is a team, Mike, that I, I think you're going to see in the next couple of years. I think you're going to see them grow a lot. I like what I've seen out of the Lions. They need more players who will reflect the identity of Dan Campbell and yes. the guy who doesn't get mentioned enough when we talk about the Lions, Chris Spielman. Because I think yes. Dan Campbell is a reflection of Chris Spielman. And they're going to have players who are a reflection of both guys. And it takes time to do it. You've got to be committed to do it. You can't get caught up in the complaints and the whims of the fan base. I mean, the fan base is so beaten down. Just to, to tell them to be patient for two or three years until you can get the players who will come in and play the way that Dan Campbell wants. Then you're going to have a perennial contender that's going to be uh, very difficult to beat on any given week of the season. And as to the Texans, we were texting about this earlier, Shereen. I, I think it's one and done for David Culley. And one mm. and done is not nearly as rare as you would think it is. Every time there's a coach who's fired after one year, we have a post that I'll go find and I'll update it and say, hey, here's all the times in the past 15 years the coaches have been one and done. It happens far more often than you realize. Well, and I'm not so certain that they didn't hire David Culley with that in mind, Mike, and now they can move on and get the coach, maybe Josh McDaniels, who they really want considering their New England ties. That would be something if they pull that off, but uh, it just feels like and, – and look, David Culley seems like a nice guy. He was never on anyone's radar screen as a coaching candidate. And I remember yeah. thinking, who's David Culley? 
when we heard that he was emerging as a candidate. So I have a feeling that he's not going to be on that job much longer, or the Texans are possibly going to have more of the same next year. You'll have more of the same tomorrow at 5 p.m. Eastern. Before that, PFT Live at 7 a.m. Eastern. We'll see you then. Thanks, as always, for some of your time, and we'll talk to you again.